We all have stories to tell. That's what this show is all about. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. The woman you are about to meet has been using her gifts and her talents as a singer, a songwriter, a musician, an arranger, a recording artist, and a live performer for decades. Her wide range of singing styles have gotten the attention of national publications like Jazz Times Magazine and All Music Guide, whose writers have compared her to Nora Jones, Diana Krall, Karen Carpenter, Carol King, and Bonnie Raitt. She's a full-time entertainer who tours worldwide. She's even opened for Sheryl Crow and Steely Dan, Hart, Chicago, Chuck Mangione. Well, the list just goes on and on. And then there's her songwriting success, with songs placed on TV and in film. She's got three million spins on Pandora. She's one of those people who always finds a way to stay positive, finding the light, and learning life lessons when we have hard times, like the pandemic. Check out her latest song, which taps into the isolation and the yearning for personal contact we have all experienced. It feels so good to be together. Let's hug a million times. It feels like it has been forever. Let's hug a million. I just want you to Hug a Million Times by singer-songwriter Chrysanthi Pappas. And this is her story. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so nice to be here. Tell me the story behind that song. So I was sitting at my piano trying to think of what could I write. And I'd been vaccinated and I was thinking about how exciting it was going to be to be together. And just even though I hadn't been with anyone yet at this point, I was just thinking in my mind, oh my gosh, I'll be able to hug people and my family and my friends. And and as I was thinking at it, the, the hook to the song just came right to my head. Since that moment you wrote that song and recorded it and have started performing it, people love this song. People love it. I, I, can't, I can't believe the feedback I'm getting. Even last night, I got a, a text from a friend that's a guidance counselor at a, an elementary school. And she said she's teaching it to the kids because they're so excited to be together again now that they're back at school. How does that feel as a songwriter, as a singer, as a performer, when you capture a little slice of life and people respond like that? Well, as a songwriter, I feel like I have a responsibility to be a spokesperson for people that can't express themselves. Because I know for myself, when I like a song that I didn't write, I like that song because it's telling the way I feel. It's relatable. Right. It's relatable. So as a songwriter, the biggest compliment I get is when somebody calls my song their song. You've been performing a weekly virtual piano bar concert on your own station, Chrysanthi 5, on YouTube Live. That rhymes really nicely. That's right. Tell me all about it. That's right. Well, it came when the pandemic first hit and within two days... I lost 14 gigs that were supposed to be for that month. This was March of 2020. And then within a few days after that, I lost gigs for the whole rest of the year. And I am a full-time performer. So basically, I was completely out of work. So I thought, oh my gosh, what am am I going to do? Not only for income, but just to connect with my audience. So I decided to just do a concert on YouTube Live 
just a one-time thing. It was going to be a one-time thing. So I just set up my computer in front of my piano. I couldn't believe how many people watched it. And then I didn't charge money. It's like, this is a free concert. If you want to buy, quote, a virtual ticket, you can, but you don't have to. It's free for anybody that wants to be here. Anyway, people were so generous and people just loved the show. And I had it set up so you can write right into the live chat so people could make requests right on the spot. So it felt like a live thing, even though I was in a room by myself. After the first show, everyone said, oh my gosh, you have to do this again. So I thought, all right, I'll do it one more time. Then the pandemic became the pandemic and I just continued to do it every Friday night. So it's live. It's a different theme every week. I take requests on the spot. So it's a little, you know, unnerving for me because people will request stuff that I haven't played in ages. And then I'm like, okay. So I just pull it up on the iPad and I sight read it and I sing it and everyone sings along at home. I feel like I'm with friends, even though I'm by myself in a room. Being an independent artist is hard work. You've got to create, you've got to promote, you've got to perform. I, I call it wash, rinse, repeat right? Totally. What advice do you have for a young artist listening to this interview, just getting started as an independent artist? Take all the work that is offered to you and look for opportunities that you might even be overlooking. When I wanted to perform places, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to perform there? And then I would think, well, how would I, how would I perform there? Let's say it was at a theater or something how would I perform here? And then I would figure out how to do it. I'd contact the theater. Who books your entertainment? And they might say an agency or they might say, oh, are we have an entertainment director? And then approach that person and ask them, what does it take for me to be considered to perform at your venue? And you might not be ready yet at that point. They might say, we want such and such and such, but at least you'll know. And then you can kind of work towards that. Start with the smaller venues and work your way up. How brave do you need to be to do that? Oh, constantly brave every day. <laughs> and rejection, rejection comes all the every time. Day. Be prepared for them to say, yeah, no. <laughs> I also want you, though, to talk to the older person who may have an unfulfilled dream. Maybe there's a woman out there who's always wanted to do what you're doing. Is it ever too late? No, I don't think so. I have quite a few older students and some of them have become musicians. You know, I always say like, some people just play the piano and other people are a piano player or they sing or they're a singer. You know, you either have it or you don't. And if you have it, it and you didn't discover it till you were 60 years old, but you have it. Our childhood molds us, it shapes us. Where did you grow up? And can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and your family? I grew up in Brockton. My parents were musical, not professionally, but my mother played piano in the house and taught me a lot of songs from her generation, which was the 1940s and 50s. My dad's still living and he still loves music and always has, again, not professionally, but they just both had a love for music. I started singing in the backyard. I wrote a song called My Backyard that kind of tells that story. Back when I was a little the whole wide world and I would dream of spotlights in the clouds friendly trees became applauding crowds and I would also sing in front of the house for the traffic 
Wait a minute. You would sing in the front yard for traffic going by. Right. Paint a picture of what that looked like. Okay, so this was on... And how old are you? Probably about eight, like third grade, I'd say. I lived on Oak Street, and Oak Street backed up to North Main Street, and there was a red light at the end of the street. So the traffic would stop in front of my house, waiting for the light to turn green. So I had a perfect captive audience. I could sing the same song... Because two minutes later, the light would turn green. Not even, you know, a minute later. And no one would look at me. They would just stay like with their hands hands on on the the steering wheel. wheel. And they kind of glance over to the left. And then I'd be like, you know, singing A, B, C, easy as one, two, three. And they'd be kind of like, what is that little girl doing? Anyhow, that's a true story. And I'm thinking, though, that when you start singing that early... The next thing you're going to tell me is it's all you ever wanted to do. Absolutely. Did you ever consider doing anything else? Never. Never. I have never had another job. I would never, you know, when the pandemic hit, I couldn't fall back on my other skills because this is it. (laughs) This is what I do. I'm going to guess that your parents recognized this pretty early on. You played the piano and drums. Were you formally trained? How did that work for you? I was formally trained as a classical pianist from third grade. I began, I wanted to take lessons before I was allowed to because my sister took lessons before me and did not like it and was not good at it. And my parents felt like they were wasting their money on her. So I kept saying, please, can I take lessons? Please, can I take lessons? And my mother was like, no, not until you're in the third grade. So now I start teaching myself to play piano just by sitting and playing by ear. And then my mother knew like, okay, she's serious and she's talented. You can't help talent. That's not anything you're bragging about. It's a God-given ability. So I just had the talent. My sister has other talents. Hers was not in piano. Voice, I started studying voice like in my teen years and drums and other instruments. I didn't start playing till I was probably in my early 20s. I play the drums, you know, pretty well. You know, I'm not amazing, but I certainly can lay down a groove. And I, I toy with the ukulele and the harmonica and a bunch of other things. So The art of songwriting. I remember sitting down with James Taylor and he told me a story about how lyrics come to him, lines come to him. And he has a little pad and a pencil that he keeps in his back pocket of his jeans And when these lines come to him, he takes out that little pad and that paper and that pencil and he writes it down and then he puts it back in his pocket. And his wife learned long ago to never throw away pieces of paper in his pocket, but he takes them all and he puts them out on a table. And then he says, I bring my songs home. Oh, wow. Every songwriter has their own way of conjuring these songs. How does it work for you? That's interesting about James Taylor. I often have little pieces of paper too, but lately with technology, I just sing into my phone. But in the old days, I used to write things down on a little pieces of paper. So how does it work for me? I usually have a whole idea with music and lyrics together to start. I also try to write my hook part first because it's really difficult to write a verse and now you have to come up with some brilliant chorus. So... There's too much pressure. So I try to start with the brilliant chorus, (laughs) like come up with something hooky first, and then I work backwards on how am I going to arrive at that point. You've also had the opportunity to sing on some incredible stages. 
What's your favorite stage to sing on where things just sound so good? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Where things just sound so good. Well, there's a place in Plymouth called the Spire Center for the Performing Arts, and they just have their sound down. Their lighting was unbelievable. And then at Xfinity Center, I happened to be performing my Crisanti Sings, Carol, Carly, and Karen show at the Mansfield Music and Arts Society Theater. And the general manager for the Xfinity Center came to the show and asked me if I wanted to do the pre-shows for Queen with Adam Lambert and Sheryl Crow and Hart and the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan and Chicago and all these acts that were from the same generation. Some retro pop, right? Retro pop. Like Ario Speedwagon, I think, was on your list as well. What was that like? So I was like, yes. It was thrilling. So I wasn't on the same stage as they were on. I was on a what's called the second stage. It was still thousands of people and it was still fabulous. And it was a blast. And I was supposed to do it for Rod Stewart last year. And of course, it got canceled because of COVID. Hopefully, I'll be back there again. Three million spins on Pandora. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What song is most popular on a platform like that? For me, the song that gets played the most and thumbs up the most is a song that I wrote called One Slow Dance a Day. One slow dance a day I love when we take time to play One slow dance makes our romance day you had mentioned when we first got started in the interview that people often use that as their wedding song. They have used it for their wedding song. Absolutely. What's the story behind that song? Well, I wrote it when I realized that I needed to have a little more personal romance in my life. And one slow dance a day seemed like the perfect prescription for that. I'm fascinated by your love of both jazz and pop. Because as a singer myself, I feel like when I think jazz, I think of coloring outside the lines. Yep. And when I think of pop and ballad singing, and I, I think of, now I'm inside the lines, you know, the rhythm is specific. How do you do both? Yep. I, I'm so envious. Oh, thanks. I equate singing jazz to just running in a field freely, throwing confetti and, <laughs> you know, c- taking paint and putting it all over the wall and in, in no particular order. So it's fun and freeing. But what I love about pop, it uses both sides of your brain. So you've got this one side of your brain <laughs> that just wants to be creative. And then you have the other part that likes everything in order. And I guess I'm both a type A person, very organized and very orderly. But I have that side to me that just wants to run free. So... I guess that's why I'm able to do both. I'm also thinking that you look at the songs of Carole King and Karen Carpenter. When you're a singer and you are singing cover songs of these great, incredible female artists, you want to do justice to the song, but you also want to do your interpretation of that song. How does that work for you? When I do the Chrysanthi Sings Carol Carly Karen show, the reason I called it Chrysanthi Sings Carol, Carly, Karen, is because I didn't want anyone to think I was trying to become them. You know, they have these tribute shows, which are great. You know, somebody pretends they actually are Carol King or they are the person. I do my own spin on their music. With that show, I kind of keep it pretty true to the original form 
because that's what people are there that's to what hear. they want to hear you know, they want to hear right? a song but i don't try to pretend that i'm them getting your songs on tv and in films this is just such a thrill chrysanthi i'm looking at shows in parenthood the mindy project once upon a time one life to live this goes on and on and on how does that feel what's that like thank you it's great Often the song is just kind of in the background of a scene, but other times it's prominently featured and that's like so exciting. The very first time that my music was on a show was a show called Passions on NBC, which was a daytime drama that's no longer on. And it was in this bizarre scene where there's like a guy that's, I think a warlock and he's doing witchcraft and anyhow, it was kind of bizarre. And then all of a sudden you hear me singing. And they use my recording of the song, so it's kind of cool. It's not only a song I wrote, but it's me singing, too. But then the second time I was on One Life to Live, then it was very prominently featured. The main couple was slow dancing, and so you hear me singing one slow dance a day. And then the brother comes in and stops the slow dance, and this is whole dramatic scene. But you hear me for a good 40 seconds before there was any dialogue, and you get paid per second. When you get your royalties from ASCAP or BMI, it shows what network you were on, what time of day. And so all of that plays into the factor of how you get paid. Is it called a feature song? Is it a background song and so forth? So, but yeah, it's very exciting. When you and I first met, we were doing a project together, Sister Friends for Life. Sister Friends for Life. And we have a connection in that my mother lost her battle to breast cancer, and you've been personally affected by breast cancer. Tell us that story. So I also lost my mother to breast cancer. She was 59 at the time. And it it was devastating, just like it was for you. And I remember reading, you said something like you felt like the net had been pulled out from under you. I I felt the same way. Like, I remember feeling like I couldn't breathe. You know, what do I do now? Who cares if I'm successful? I don't have anybody to share it with. I mean, I had uh, people to share it with, but I didn't have my mother to share it with. Isn't it so interesting, the mother-daughter connection, too? You know, your mom is like your compass. Yes, absolutely. And it was like, if she wasn't there to see me be successful, then why, why even try? You know, it took me a good year to kind of get over that and be able to breathe again. And then my spouse, Barbara got breast cancer a year after my mother died. So I was really freaking out thinking that she was going to die because I never knew that you could survive it. And thankfully she did. She survived it twice, once in 2000 and once in 2007. So anyhow, she received her treatment at the Faulkner Breast Center. And that's when I decided I wanted to do something to kind of pay it back because they were so wonderful to her. And that's where the Sister Friends for Life concert was born. You debuted the mammogram song that night to the audience. And I'll tell you, it's a song you want to sing along with. And I had the pleasure of singing it with you that night. And we'll play a clip of it right now. You've got to take the time and learn the rhyme. If you're a ma'am or a gram, say yes, I am. Then get yourself a mammogram. And there she is, Chrysanthi Pappas singing the mammogram song. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I try to find creative ways around it. And I remember my parents, this is so cliche, but they always taught me that you can do anything that you set your mind to. So I just truly believe that. So if something doesn't work out the way that I thought it would, I try to 
be creative and think of a new way to approach it. As you look back on this incredible career, on your body of work, which is really unbelievable. And I told you when I first saw you at my back door, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. Well, what you. are you most proud of? I don't know. That's hard. I guess I'm most proud of the fact that I've never had another job and I've never had to have another job that I've been able to make it on my own. I still plan to do it for the rest of my life. What is the best piece of advice you've ever had? And can you share it with our audience? To follow your heart and to not try to fit into somebody else's mold. If you set your mind to it, you can achieve anything. I really believe that. Like if you can see it in your mind, then you can make it happen. What do you wish you knew, Chris, when you first got started as a singer has there and a performer? Has there been anything that you had to learn the hard way or something that really surprised you? Well, I don't know. I guess I wish I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but you can't tell anybody that. I think if somebody had told me, I wouldn't have believed them. You have to learn it for yourself. I mean, I guess there's probably other paths of life that aren't easy either, but the music industry is certainly a difficult one. And if you don't love it, don't do it. But if you love it, you have to do it. You have no other choice. Final question. And thank you so much for coming here today to be on the show. In this chapter of your life, what does success mean to you? Success to me means that you've touched other people's life with your music. To know that you've made a positive difference and that somebody feels better because of a song that you wrote or feels like they can finally express the way they're feeling because you wrote it, you know, or just the joy that you bring. And, you know, when I wrote Hug a Million Times, I wanted to just bring joy to people, a burst of joy. So I hope that's what I've done. And you have. Chrysanthi Pappas, thank you so much for being this week's guest on The Story Behind Her Success. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to see you. Thanks. And that's The Story Behind Her Success for this week. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candioterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy O'Terry Official and on all other platforms at Candy O'Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, we'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. <laughs>